blessed before the year begins. We're starting a new series today. We finished 1 Peter last week, and we're going to do another New Testament letter. We're going to be looking at the letter to the Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And so you can go ahead and be turning there if you have a Bible, if you need to use the the Bible there that's in front of you, uh, the page number should be on the screen. It is great. Um, so the Galatians is in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you have two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Galatians is in the New. What you see in the New Testament is you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those give us the story of Jesus. They tell us about Jesus's life and death and resurrection And then following that, you have the book of Acts, which continues the story of Jesus, but through his followers as they build the church, as Jesus really builds the church through them, through the Holy Spirit, uh, and the message about Jesus goes out into the, the Roman Empire. And then what follows Acts is a series of letters directed to those Jesus communities that are popping up all around the Mediterranean Sea. And that's what Paul's letter to the Galatians is. Uh, These are some of the first churches that the Apostle Paul planted. You can read more about that in the book of Acts in chapters 13 and 14. And this is his letter to them. Today we're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Let's give our attention to God's word. Paul, an apostle... Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Thus far the reading of God's word. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass falls, flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in receiving it. Lord, you have spoken by your word. And now as I speak in an attempt to explain it and apply it, We acknowledge that that my words are the words of man. They're just mine. But we pray that you would use them by the power of your Holy Spirit to cause your word to come with power. 
that we would be more convinced than ever that you love us, that your grace is for us, and that you want us to be committed to you and to your gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Rebecca uh, found a meme this week, if you're over the age of 55 and need that word defined to you. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. And I'm 42, so there you go. You just know what it is. But Rebecca found a meme this week, and uh, so it describes, we're going to put it on the screen right here, uh, and it actually shows you a typical outline, it's a little humorous, a typical outline of a New Testament letter. Right? Paul usually opens by wishing grace on those who hear him, which we saw him do in this letter. And then he usually opens with a thanksgiving prayer. And then he says, hold fast to the gospel, right? He tells them what Jesus has done. And then his letters usually finish with something akin to, for the love of everything holy, stop being stupid, all right? Um, And then he usually finishes with a greeting from other people who are with him, like Timothy. Timothy says, hi. Now, If you notice, when I read the opening of Galatians, this letter is different. He does greet us with grace, but then there is not a prayer of thanksgiving. In fact, it's as if he moves the fourth part into there and says, For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. Hold fast to the gospel, and then again, For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. Now, that's humorous. But actually, Paul is quite serious in this letter. He is very upset. And you can tell that. Uh, Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, I would hope that you could listen to what I read and hear. Uh, Paul, there's there's heat in Paul's voice. He is angry. Uh, Something is happening that he is not uh, that he is not happy with. Um, And it clearly has something to do with with what he calls the gospel. He uses that word four times in four verses. So that that gives you an indication that that's what this is about. This is about the gospel. And we're going to define that word as we go through, and Paul is going to define it uh, as he goes through his letter. But we'll define it today so we know what that's about. But something is happening in these new baby churches. Paul has gone through. He has proclaimed to them the gospel And then other people have come through behind him, and Paul says they are troubling the church by distorting the gospel. How are they doing that? Again, we're going to unpack that as we go through the letter, but we're going to see that Paul gives us some indication today. Um, We could summarize the message of this passage in this way. There is only one gospel. There are not many Gospels. Paul says that. Not that there is another one. There is only one Gospel. And if we are to find acceptance with God, that one Gospel is our only hope. Paul's going to unpack that for us. First, he's going to talk about himself, the messenger. We won't spend as much time here because Paul's going to do that more uh, in in the rest of chapters 1 and first part of 2. But we're going to talk about the messenger who is writing this letter. 
Second, we're going to talk about the problem. What is Paul addressing? And then third, we're going to see if we can discern Paul's message. What is it? What is this gospel that Paul is so uh, ardent to defend? But first, let's talk about the messenger. If you look in there in verse 1, it says, it identifies himself, Paul, an apostle. What's an apostle? The word means a messenger, somebody sent with authority. Someone, in this case, the way the Bible uses the word most of the time, is somebody who has, been, who has met the risen Jesus and been sent by him. And so we hold the position that the apostles were the foundation of the early church built on Jesus. They were delegated by Jesus to begin the church. But when they died, that office of apostleship stopped with them. There are no more apostles today. I know there are some churches who identify their pastors with that word apostle. I wouldn't want that word. Uh, I don't need that. I, I don't. I don't need that. That weight, right? Uh, there are no more apostles today. Paul says he's not from men. He didn't get his apostleship, his authority from men, nor through man. So unlike every other pastor who has ever lived, Paul's authority is not given to him by any other person. Right? Every other church leader has a, has a delegated authority. We would say that the elders of this church are called by God to serve this church. And yet they are recognized by this church. They, they, it is contingent upon this, uh, our church ordaining them, setting them apart to that office. Paul says... I don't need that. It's not ordained by any men. I wasn't given this mission by any man, uh, at least not by any ordinary human man. My mission comes from Jesus. My authority comes from him. Why would Paul take the time to point that out? And as we're going to see later on, he really he, he defends his own story. Why would he do that? Well, let's assume that you're a child. You're playing in your room. And you have an older brother. I don't know if you did or not, but we'll say for the sake of this story that you did. You have an older brother. And your older brother comes in and says, hey, clean up your room. How would you respond to your older brother if he did that? Some of you actually have had that happen to you. I know how you respond. It happens all the time in my house. Um, right? You would say, who, who are you? Now, is that an identity question? No, you know who that is. It's an authority question. What right do you have to tell me to clean up my room? I don't answer to you. Now, let's rewind and go back. Uh, and let's say that the older brother comes in your room. And this time he says, hey, dad said clean up your room. Ah, now, now, we've changed, now, now we've changed it, right? Uh, older brother is no longer coming on his own authority. He, has, he is an apostle, if you will, right? He has been sent with the authority of dad. And how is that message to be received? Well, it's to be believed and obeyed. And that's why Paul is taking some time and will take time to defend himself and his apostleship, not because he thinks he's anything, 
but because those who are troubling the church are saying, uh, you know, Paul, he's kind of, he's, he's not the guy. I mean, he's fine, but he's not, you know, like, he doesn't have the authority that these other guys have. And what they're doing in questioning Paul's authority is they're also undermining the message, and they're changing the message. And that leads us into the problem. Why is Paul so bent out of shape? Well, we see in in verse 7, he says, There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are, are troublemakers who've come into these churches and when he says distorting, right, they're, they're changing or perverting the gospel would be words we could use. Really, you could even use the word reversing. So they're taking the message of Jesus that Paul preached, this gospel, and they're doing something to reverse it, to pervert it, to change it. And what we learn from the book of Acts and what we'll learn from the letter to the Galatians is what they're doing is adding to the message. Now, usually, right, plus is is good, right? We always like, like, we like BOGO. We like buy one, get one free. Like, I'm going to buy this and get that. Wonderful. Right? We always like, we always like extra. But when it comes to the gospel, extra is a problem. Right, so what these false teachers were doing is they were coming through and they were saying, yes, for God to accept you, you, do, you need to believe in Jesus. Yes, that's true. That's true. And you need to obey the laws of Moses. You'll need to, be, you'll need to follow the Jewish customs and traditions. You'll need to be circumcised. You'll need to observe these traditions, etc., etc. That's really what it takes to be accepted by God. So they're adding to the gospel. But what Paul says is that when you do that, it actually reverses it. It makes it no gospel at all. Now, why is that a problem? Look at verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. The him there could be capitalized from a God who called you by his grace. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the gospel. He doesn't say the gospel. He says, you are deserting. You are turning away from, like, what, what's a deserter? When we're talking about an army, what, do, what does a deserter do? He leaves, Right? He leaves, he leaves, he, dry, he, he leaves all his responsibility, maybe a worker who deserts, right? He leaves, he leaves all of his responsibility and he, he takes a hike. He just disappears or he changes sides. We don't like deserters. Deserters are bad. Paul says, when you change the gospel, you're deserting God. You can see why he's so upset. That, that what's at stake here is not just a doctrinal difference. Like, oh, well, you believe this and we believe that, but that's okay. We'll just get along. Paul says, mm-mm, no. What's at stake here is your relationship with God. If you would want to be accepted by God, that's, that's what's at stake here. That's what's in danger when we distort the gospel. We are rejecting God's grace. 
in Christ. And the result, as we see in verses 8 and 9, is that actually what these false teachers are doing is they are inviting, by, by changing God's message, they are inviting God's judgment. Paul says, if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. That word accursed means to be under God's judgment. And just so we know that Paul's not pitching a fit, throwing a little temper tantrum, this wasn't just an angry outburst, he says it twice. He repeats himself. And he puts himself under that same threat. He says, even if I, if I change the message, let me be accursed, let me be damned, to use PG-13 language. That's, 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 that's how strongly... Paul is speaking. That's how important the gospel is. That's what's going on here. This is a life or death issue. Eternal life or death issue. And so then, what is the message? What is the gospel? What hints does Paul give us here that indicate uh, what his... What his gospel, the gospel that he preached is. And he'll give us more again as we go through the letter. But we see a few things that we can trace out even here in this passage. Look at verse 3. Grace to you. What is the origin of the gospel? It's God's grace. God's undeserved kindness. Now, let's pause right there just a second. And go back to that what he that judgment thing. Just a couple of verses, you know, at the, at the very end in verses eight and nine. Like, man, Paul doesn't sound very gracious here. You know that? I mean, shouldn't shouldn't grace make Paul just a, a little more tolerant of, of what these guys are are teaching? I mean, is is Paul opposed to grace here? Well, I heard this illustration this weekend, and I think it's it would be really good to use here. Um, imagine that you and I. Are, are, are meeting for lunch, okay? Uh, we sit down, uh, the server comes and takes our order, and you know, I, I excuse myself to go to the restroom. And as I'm heading to the restroom, I, I pass the kitchen. And the door's open, and I see in the kitchen that the, um, our waiter is talking to the chef. And the chef is saying, is that? We'll say your name's Bob. Is that Bob out there? I hate that guy. I want that guy dead. And so he takes some poison. And he says, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. After the meal is over, I, I want you, I'm going to make, a, I'm gonna make some cookies. And I'm going to put this poison in these cookies. And I want you... Uh, to tell them these cookies are on the house, just a free dessert for, for Bob, all right? So I want you to deliver these cookies after the meal, all right? Now, I have some options there. And I, go, I come back to the table, and I'm, I'm kind of shocked by what I've just seen. Like, was that real? Did that really happen? And, you know, the server brings our food, and we're talking, but this whole time I'm kind of like, that, that's really bizarre. And then... Lo and behold, before he brings out our check, the waiter says, hey, here's some, 
some cookies somebody bought them for you. We just we'd love to give them to you, you know, free of charge. And he delivers the cookies. And you, being a, a good cookie loving person, you, you put your hand you, you go for a cookie. And I throw my hand over the plate and I say, Don't eat these cookies. And you say, Kevin, I know you're kind of weird about food and you don't like a whole lot of extra sugar, but I like cookies. Get your hands off my cookies, right? And so you grab a cookie and begin to go to your mouth with the cookie. What would you want me to do? Slap it out of your hand, right? Would that be intolerant of me to do that? Would that be against grace for me to do that? That is what's going on here. The Galatians are eating some poison cookies, And Paul says, this is going to kill you. Stop it. So that's why Paul is not opposed to grace. Grace, the the gospel comes from God's undeserved kindness. We cannot earn it. We cannot pay for it. It is a gift. There is nothing we do to deserve it. And what does the gospel bring us there? Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God. Peace. Even if you're not a religious person. Peace. Isn't that, isn't that what we're all looking for? Some measure of peace, some measure of rest, knowing that it's going to be okay, that everything's going to be all right. That's what the gospel offers is peace, total reconciliation with God. Everything's going to be fine. And how is that accomplished? How does God accomplish that peace? He goes on. We have peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. So the gospel is not the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. The good news is not that Jesus is your example. When Jesus goes to the cross, if, you, if your approach to Jesus is, oh man, look at the sacrifice of Jesus, what, what a beautiful model of love that is. Oh, oh, that if we could just model our lives after that. Now, is Jesus' life a good model to follow? Yes. But that's not the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is not Jesus' teaching. Right? It's not that Jesus has good advice for the way that you live your life. But we would say that if you follow Jesus' teaching, that would probably improve most areas of your life. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus takes your place. That, he, that, that you are a sinner. That there is a debt before God that you cannot pay. And that Jesus steps in front of you and pays it. Jesus substitutes himself for you. That's the gospel. And why does Jesus do that? Again, in verse 4, he says, He gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to rescue us. What does that mean? We don't just need a little extra. 
We don't just need a little boost. We don't just need a little help. We need to be rescued. We need to be delivered from this present evil age. So we are enslaved. We are helpless. We need to be rescued from this present evil age. The Bible uh, talks about two ages. There is the present age and there is the age to come. And what we see in the New Testament is that when Jesus shows up, he actually begins the age to come. So both are running parallel right now. There is the present age and there is the age to come. And they're like two trains running together. But the thing is, one of those trains will not run forever. One of them is heading towards a nasty dead-end crash. That's the present evil age. That's the train that every single person, apart from the grace of God, is enslaved on. And we need to be rescued from. And the gospel is that Jesus rescues us from that age and brings us into the age to come. Even right now. Total rescue. And why? Who, who designed this gospel? He says that Jesus did this according to the will of our God and Father. This is God's plan. There is no other plan. There isn't, there's, no, there's no plan B other than the gospel. That, and, and it tells us that, that the Father and the Son are working together. That Jesus, the Son, does not have to come to the Father and say, Hey, listen, Kao and Myra, they, I'm, they're really great people. You should, you should rescue them. You should save them. Like Jesus isn't bargaining with God. God sends Jesus to do this. And the Son willingly does it. Right? The grace and peace come from both of them. They are working together. God doesn't, the, the Father doesn't force the Son to die for your sins. Jesus desires to do this. To what end? Look in verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The purpose of the gospel is the glory of God. Think about it. If the good news originates in God's grace, in his gracious purpose, he's the one who wills it, he's the, it comes out of his undeserved kindness. He is glad to do it, in other words. It comes from him. It's secured by him. right? And he does all the work to make it happen. See, now you see the, the danger, if you haven't yet, of, of, of adding things to the gospel, right? Because if I add, right, the, the gospel is that Jesus' work is finished. It's done. There's nothing else for me to do. He has saved me totally and completely. completely. But if I add to that, now what am I doing? Well, one, I'm taking glory away from God. Right? If he's the one who does all the work, then he... Did, right? imagine, imagine that you're a quadriplegic. Right? You're in a terrible accident. You're paralyzed from the neck down. But you have this 
good, strong friend. And he feeds you. Uh, he carries you to the restroom. He clothes you. Takes you out in public so that you can see your other friends. What would you say to that friend? Thank you. And what would you say about that friend? He's wonderful. That's the gospel. If we take away from that, then we're aiming to get some kind of glory for ourselves. Like, hey, Jesus got Jesus did some and I helped him out. And what Paul says is that when we do that, we pervert the gospel. We make it into no gospel at all. And if we lose the gospel, we lose everything. And so as, as we move into the fall and begin another ministry year at Grace Fellowship, I, I want us to remember the gospel. How important how vital it is. It's not just one thing. It is the thing. That we exist by God's grace. That we are saved only by God's grace. And that it's this gospel that informs everything else that we do. And if you're here this morning and you've never believed that gospel, right? Maybe, what are, what are some of the false gospels that we usually adhere to? It's easy to call out other people, but what about in this room? And probably the easiest one for us is the moralistic gospel. I prayed a prayer. Once upon a time, Jesus saved me. And now I do my best to break even. That's not the gospel. Right? The gospel is that Jesus has saved you completely from first to last. There's nothing you add to it. Um... You know, don't don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date the girls that do. Right? Any any list that we would add to the gospel and say, yes, I'm saved by grace, but anytime you say but, that's a problem. That doesn't mean there's not room for obedience. That doesn't mean that uh, you know a follower of Jesus is somebody who follows Jesus. But we have to latch on to this idea of radical. Grace, that we are saved by grace and nothing of our own effort to say anything else is to distort the gospel. If you've never believed the gospel, or if you've believed a false gospel, right, maybe we often think of repenting of our, of our disobedience, of our sins, of our bad works. It may be that we need to repent of our obedience. Right? That we've been, if we've been obeying with a wrong motive, if we've been obeying with a, a desire to earn something from God, we need to repent of that as well and trust again in the finished work of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel that saves totally and completely. Lord, we repent that we often add to it. Help us to see to discover those false gospels, those things that our hearts are trusting in apart from you, to repent of them and to run back to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer focus this week is for our neighbors and church and co-workers. 
And so I'm going to give some time during our prayer. I'm just going to I'll pause uh, when I say we're going to pray for friends and neighbors and coworkers. And I'm going to pause and just give you an opportunity to pray for whomever that is that God uh, lays on your heart. If there's somebody, as we talked about, that doesn't believe the gospel, this would be a great time to pray for them. Uh, and then I will pray our, our prayer focus uh, that our church would structure our ministry around the means of grace, around the word, fellowship, sacraments, and prayer. Uh, so with that said, let's, let's pray together again. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind now uh, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, those maybe that we're, we're not sure if they know you or don't know you, but would you bring people to mind for each one of us to pray for right now? Lord, we pray that they would know your goodness and grace. That they would know the power of the gospel to save and transform. Lord, we pray for our church. Uh, that we would build ministry here around the means of grace that you've given us. The, the tools that you use to work grace in our lives. So, your word. And prayer. And the sacraments and the fellowship of the body. Lord, these things that you have given uh, that we might grow in grace. Lord, we pray for our growth groups beginning in a couple of weeks, that they, these would be a good place for community growth, for friendships to be formed, for our youth and children's ministry. Lord, we pray for the leaders. Pray that they would be faithful to teach your word and to pray for those in their charge. And God, we pray that your word would be effective in the lives of the children of our church. That you would be growing them. That they would know you. Come, that they would come to know your truth. They would come to know your gospel. And that they would love you all the rest of their days. Lord, we thank you for... Um, Marie being able to sell her home and uh, find a new place to live. Thank you for providing that. And we pray that uh, you would help us uh, to uh, send her off, get her packed up, and all of the things, that, that the little details that still need um, much attention, Lord. I pray that we would come alongside to help her meet those. Father, we uh, pray for those in our congregation who are sick. Uh, Lord, would you bring healing. Father, we pray for those in our congregation who are hurting. We pray that you would be uh, their balm, that you would uh, bring them peace. Lord, would you make us a people uh, who love your grace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.